0: So today I am going to invite everyone, as we are concluding the book of Exodus, to turn to the concluding chapter of the book of Exodus. That would be chapter 40. Um, and we're going to be, if you're using the Pew Bible, that will be on page 84. It will be on the screen behind us. And, and we're going to read some text. And, and if you've grown up in church or maybe you've been working through reading of the Bible, uh, if you start at the beginning and you get to about 20, I mean 75 chapters in the Bible, around Exodus 25, that's the 50 chapters of Genesis, and then 25 chapters into Exodus, you're going to start running into some language that, from our modern day perspective, just probably isn't something we're used to. And perhaps you've grown up in church, so you've heard lessons about the tabernacle, or the temple before. But as we read this, we're going to understand that or see this is not exactly how we operate. But nevertheless, it is still a part of God's Word that requires our understanding and gives us a better glimpse of Jesus and His redemption. And so that's our goal today. I'm going to ask you to stand with me in the honor of reading God's Word. The words will be on the screen, but please follow along in your copy of God's word, whether it be in print or digital. This is chapter 40. We're going to read it in its entirety. It says, the Lord spoke to Moses, you are to set up the tabernacle, the tent of meeting on the first day of the first month. Put the ark of the testimony there and screen off the ark with the curtain. Then bring in the table and lay out its arrangement. Also bring in the lampstand and set up its lamps. Place the gold altar for incense in front of the Ark of the Testimony and put up the screen for the entrance to the tent tabernacle. Position the altar of burnt offering in front of the entrance to the tabernacle, the tent of meeting. Place the basin between the tent of meeting and the altar and put water in it. Assemble the surrounding courtyard and hang the screen for the gate of the courtyard. Take the anointing oil and anoint the tabernacle and everything in it. Consecrate it along with all its furnishings so that it will be holy. Anoint the altar of burnt offering and all its utensils. Consecrate the altar so that it will be especially holy. Anoint the basin and its stand and and consecrate it. Then bring Aaron and his sons to the entrance of the tent of meeting and, and wash them with water. Clothe Aaron with the holy garments, anoint him and consecrate him so that he can serve me as a priest. Have his sons come forward and clothe them in tunics. Anoint them just as you anointed their fathers so that they may also serve me as priest. Their anointing will serve to inaugurate, inaugurate a permanent priesthood for them throughout their generations. Moses did everything just as the Lord had commanded The tabernacle was set up in the first month of the second year. On the first day of the month, Moses set up the tabernacle. He laid its bases, positioned its supports, inserted its crossbars, and set up its pillars. Then he put the covering of the tent on top of it, just as the Lord had commanded Moses. Moses took the testimony and placed it in the ark and and attached the poles to the ark and he set the mercy seat on top of the ark and he put the ark in the tabernacle and put the curtain for the screen and screened off the ark of the testimony just as the Lord had commanded him. Moses placed the table in the tent of the meeting on the north side of the tabernacle outside the curtain and he arranged the bread on it before the Lord just as the Lord had commanded him. And he put the lampstand in the tent of the meeting opposite the table on the south side of the tabernacle and set up the lamps before the Lord just as the Lord had commanded him. Moses installed the gold altar in the tent of the meeting in front of the curtain and he burned fragrant incense on it just as the Lord had commanded him. And he put up the screen at the entrance of the tabernacle and he placed the altar of burnt offering at the entrance of the tabernacle, the tent of meeting and offered the burnt offering, the grain offering on it, just as the Lord had commanded him. And he set the basin between the tent of the meeting and the altar and put water in it for washing. Moses, Aaron, and his sons washed their hands and feet from it, and, and they washed wherever they, whenever they came to the tent of meeting, and approached the altar just as the Lord had commanded Moses. Moses set up the surrounding courtyard for the tabernacle and the altar and hung a screen for the gate of the courtyard. And so Moses finished the work. The cloud covered the tent of meeting and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. Moses was unable to enter the tent of meeting because the cloud rested on it and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. The Israelites, they set out whenever the cloud was taken up from the tabernacle throughout all the stages of their journey. And if the cloud was not taken up, well, they did not set out until the day it was taken up. For the cloud of the Lord was over the tabernacle by day, and there was a fire inside the cloud by night, visible to the entire house of Israel throughout all the stages of their journey. Let's pray. Lord God, we have read a portion of the Bible that some in this room may find unfamiliar or just uncertain in their life about what this means, how this relates to them and their walk with you. And today, as we see your word, help us to recognize it is good. It is from you and all of it is scripture. All of it is good for teaching, for correcting, for rebuking, for training in righteousness so that the church so the men and women of god may be adequately equipped for every good work that you have for them so jesus says this is your word given as your gift to your people may you have the ultimate authority in this time and may we all learn from you the lord the holy one in jesus name amen all right you may be seated as I gave you that little pre-pep uh, talk, as I said, this is, this is unfamiliar territory for many people when it comes to this reading. In fact, this is part of the scripture where sometimes people get into reading. They set the challenge at the beginning of the year to, to set maybe so many chapters a day to read. And, and they get about 75 chapters. Things seem to be working pretty okay. They may have had some, some moments where there were some confusing stories uh, some amusing moments in the history that God was revealing to us, but this is the part where they're like, okay, this is just not a part of my ordinary frame of reference. It's just not a part of the part of what I know. And, and that is understandable because here we are. We are 2000 years after Jesus and this was almost Two thousand years before Jesus walked the earth in His bodily human God form. It, it was before that. And so we're, we're way beyond this. And in fact, the last time the temple itself, with the tabernacle was first, and then when it became a permanent structure, it was the temple, was almost two thousand years ago. Jesus beheld the temple. He walked among its courtyards. But it was destroyed in 70 A.D. By the Romans, whenever there was this uh, conflict and battle and siege of Jerusalem, the the, the general uh, Titus, who would go on to be a, the emperor of Rome, he had it torched, burned. And the temple and its structure has has ceased to exist from that day. It has not been there. Now, the great news for us as believers is, the Bible teaches us that we do not need that temple in order to commune with God. We do not need that temple in order to be made right with God. We do not need that temple in order to visit God. We do not need that temple and that structure because Jesus, the one who is fully God and fully man, fully God, taking on the flesh of man, he, he came and dwelt among us and he is that greater holiness that is us. He's that, that one who has transformed everything. But nevertheless, when we see this, this is important to us. Now you may think it odd because many of you did not require watching the, the structure and the tearing down and reconstruction as we've moved or anything like that of, of a tent. You didn't see anybody coming in and burning incense this morning. You didn't see someone anointing things with oil. You didn't see certain people in certain garb uh, putting on the clothing and, and the tunics and the turbans. You, you, you didn't have to bring a burnt offering today. You, you, it's this, this frame of reference may be different for us because we just don't participate here. But what I want you to see is this is a part of the trajectory that God was leading all along. We've been studying about God as the Redeemer, bringing redemption to a people He redeemed. People who had nothing, yet were chosen by God to have their life saved, preserved, sustained, and, and, and Him to gloriously save and work among their lives. And here is the culmination. At the beginning, whenever God visited Moses at the, at the burning bush, that moment we talked about in Exodus chapters 3 and 4, God had made a promise to them that they were going to come, He was going to deliver the people with His mighty hand, and they were going to come to Mount Sinai to visit with the Lord, to worship Him. And it was there He would give them the law, Saying, "I have rescued you. Now, this is what it means for you to be my people." He would give them the covenant, saying, "This is my promise to you that will never end." He would give them the way to experience something different from that moment forward. That just as they were able to come into the very near presence of God at Sinai, when they left Sinai, he would never he would they would have to look back and say, "Well, we need to go back to Sinai because that's where God was." No, He was saying, I'm setting up a a, a moment where from this moment on, I will be with you, among you, forever. In this moment. And as a part of it, God set up this order of how that was to be. How could this very holy, ultimate, omnipotent God dwell amongst frail, sinful, fickle, sometimes unclean people? How was that possible? Well, that's where the tabernacle comes into play. And and God gives these instructions for the tabernacle in, in Exodus chapters 25 through 31. And then we see the construction of that tabernacle in chapters 35 through 38. And we see Moses inspecting it in chapter 39. And then we see him setting it up and what happens after it's set up. Now, I had this question that was brought up a few weeks ago. Whenever the Ten Commandments were given, God also said when you come to worship Me, that you're supposed to have this altar that was uncut rocks, just earthen and and plain and and, and that kind of thing, and and you were not to do that. And that was the ability to make a sin offering for the people in that moment. But what God does with the tabernacle is He establishes a little place that's meant to be as close to perfection as possible To remind us of what had happened back in Eden. To take us back to that place that was perfect and good and holy with God before the fall. And so that's why all the details go into the tabernacle the way they do. So how did this happen? How how does this come about that, that ultimately they set this up? Well, the aim of today's sermon is we look at these details. When we look at what God has revealed to us in the word, to help us to be adequate and equipped and get our mind focused on why this is useful is to see and enjoy this special gift that we have of the Redeemer dwelling with his redeemed people. What it looks like then and what it looks like now. So the first thing I want you to notice as we see and enjoy this is to note the supplies that were necessary, the supplies that were called for. It says, the Lord spoke to Moses, this is Exodus chapter 25, says, tell the Israelites to take an offering for me. Ooh, offering. That's like the wrong no-no word for any preacher. No one ever wants to come up and hear whenever the preacher says the word offering. But you are to tell, Moses told, the Lord told Moses to tell the Israelites this. Not only are you to tell them to take an offering, you are to take an offering from everyone who is willing. And then you are to take this offering in these items. These certain lists, gold, silver, bronze, Uh, types of yarn types of goat hair types of skins types of leathers types of woods types of spices types of oils they had to all be a part of god's plan there's some things that i want you to know this is the command of the lord but then something happened it says in exodus 35 whenever this offering uh, command was given that The Moses repeated what the Lord had said. It said everyone, this is Exodus 35 21, everyone whose heart was moved and whose spirit prompted him came and brought an offering to the Lord. It goes on to say that the, that whenever they started bringing, this was not just some pittance type of giving either. This was something overwhelming. In fact, in Exodus chapter 36, the people that were in charge of putting all this together in verses four through seven it says that they approached moses as the people the people are bringing more than is needed for the construction of the work that the lord commanded to be done they're giving us too much too much so moses had to give an order and send a proclamation throughout the camp let no man make anything else as an offering to the sanctuary for the sanctuary the materials were sufficient enough to do the work there was more than enough now, when we look at this, sometimes we think, oh, this is a, this is a message about giving. And, and giving is always a part of worship. It's always a part of our gratitude. We cannot be gracious and say and claim to be gracious without an overwhelming heart towards giving and generosity. It is incompatible to say I'm grateful and not give. It's, it's just an incompatible thought. But in this case, I want you to know what happened here in these instructions that God had given for this to be built. First of all, I want you to notice that this, these instructions for worship, when it came to the supplies, they first of all required a heart check. They had to check their heart. I know that's like a kind of a common phrase. They check your heart, bro. Check your heart. Um, uh, but what this is about is God was saying, if anyone is moved, let them do this. This is not compulsory, coerced giving. If you have to hunt down someone to make this rectified, it's not worth it. It's not worth it. But God is asking for this heart check. He's saying this is not to be compulsory giving. You are not to go into everybody's tent and say, well, this is how much you got from e- Egypt. Uh, we're going to excise this much. This is not theft. This is not taxation. Oh, I did say that. Um, uh, this is not what that is. It's a heart check because worship will call us to look at where our heart is with God. Is it grateful? The second thing is that this instruction for worship, it required an inventory check on behalf of the individual. There was a list that was given that was specific by Moses, by the Lord who gave those instructions to Moses. And if people were wanting to give, they could look at their surroundings and say, I have those items i have that ability in other words this was not to meant to be haphazard type giving that is like i eh, am yeah, yeah, i'll give that uh colleague uh one of our pastors in another church uh, his name's jd greer he talks about uh being a pastor among college students and uh he uh in one of his sermons is one of the favorite things that he saw whenever their church began reaching out to college students, he says, I love the overflow and the amount of people that were there. But here's the thing, just because you have a crowd doesn't mean you have funds. And he says, you know, if your church is most made, most, made up mostly of young people and college students, you're probably going to have a very full congregation, but a very poor congregation. And he said one of the funniest things that happened to him was that one of the Sundays, after they had been growing and by leaps and bounds, uh, one of the ushers came back with the offering plate, and in it was a bacon, egg, and cheese sandwich. Uh, that had been placed in its wrapper in there, attached with a note that said, uh, silver and gold I do not have, but such as I have I give to thee. And, uh, and, uh, and he says it was my favorite thing, you know, that, hey, I don't have any money, but I have an extra sausage egg and a big biscuit t- sandwich. Um, but here's the thing. Our giving is not meant to be something that's just haphazard. It, it, it does require some thought. Now, it's not to move us to saying, well, I'm going to be high and mighty and look at how much I'm doing and here my right hand is now knowing what my left hand is doing and I'm letting everybody else know that's not what it's about. But we are to think through about how costly it was that God would deliver his people and that everything we have requires looking at what the need is. Another part of this instruction for worship is that it required a stewardship check because this was not graceless giving. This was an utter response to what God had already poured out over his people. We've talked about this before. What were the Israelites before they were on this walk with God? Slaves. Slaves. And here's the thing about slaves. Slaves don't really own anything. They are able to handle what their masters give them, but they don't own anything. They don't have any of their own property. And the fact that they had gold and silver and 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 yarns and precious threads and precious materials was not because all of a sudden they were rich because they just earned or, or struck gold. No, it was because God had already poured out his grace upon people who had nothing. And when they left Israel, I mean, left Egypt, the people of Egypt were so overwhelmed in wanting God to relent on their land that they were pouring out what they had on the Israelites. So everything the Israelites had in their possession was all because God gave it to them. Every single item. And that's a really good point for us when we think about where our act of worship is is because it requires a stewardship check. Because sometimes we look and we say, well, I earned this. Did you really? Did you really? I mean, I'm glad you worked for it. I'm glad you labored for it. That's a good thing. But ultimately, if you take it to the full drink length, What do you have that God did not first give? It's a stewardship check. It's looking back at God's grace that has been so abundantly poured out on His people. And here as we live in America, we live, we don't like to talk about it, or maybe we do, I don't know. We are the most blessed with possession land in the world. We just are. We just are. It, it would be a very small, small percentage of our nation at the most poorest nth degrees that would still be below most other countries. It, 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 would, it would be very far, very few in the amount of population compared to the rest of the world. And we need to be thinking, God, what do I have if it was not for thee? What would I have if it was not for you? These instructions for worship also required an authority check. This came at the command of the Lord, and it came with a purpose from the Lord. And so this is not powerless giving. This is not some uh, blank check. It doesn't really come with any authority or any source. It comes from God's command for God's purposes. And The people saw that. They saw what it was aiming towards, saw what it was about and where their heart had led them to act foolishly and in rebellion and callously towards the Lord to to just take off earrings and throw that haphazardly without a cause to an idol here they recognize God still wants to be with us and we want to be with him and so they were moved towards giving towards that and i believe this wholeheartedly, that when we respect God's command and we follow God's purpose and His power, people will give to those things because they know God is moving, God is leading. But this is not a message about just that. What we also notice is the specifics. God talked about multiple things that were meant to be built over over the period of chapters, what it would mean for His presence to dwell In their midst, in the very center of the camp, wherever they went. The first was this of the Ark of the Covenant. Sometimes you see it say the Ark of the Testimony. And I have a few pictures up here to kind of give you a clue. If you have a good study Bible, it'll tell you or give you some visuals about basically what they think it looked like based on what the Bible tells us. And it was this gold-covered wooden box that was carried in wooden, gold-covered rods with uh, two seraphim on the top with their angels spread. And on the top was this lid called the mercy seat where God had promised that His presence would be. He says in chapter 25, verse 22, I will meet you there above the mercy seat between the two cherubim that are over the ark of the testimony. And I will speak with you from there about all that I command you regarding the Israelites. So this was a place where God's most holy presence was going to rest and be be known as at this point. And, and it was a serious thing. If you skip over to like 1 Samuel uh, in in chapter 2 Samuel chapter 3 or 4, you get to this story where David is wanting to bring the Ark of the Covenant. By the way, this is uh, our most familiar viewpoint of the Ark of the Covenant because... Um, uh Raiders of the Lost Ark is by far the best Indiana Jones movie. Um, Last Crusade is really close, but um, this is by far the best. But in that moment that David is wanting to carry the Ark, this holy object, he re- the, the, it's not being carried the way God prescribed, and a man reaches out and touches it, and he dies instantly. He's trying to protect it from falling over off of a cart a way that it was never meant to be handled in the first place, but because they're so foolish and reckless with this holy object and the God's presence has promised to be on it, and this person does not handle it with holiness and cleansing, he dies. It was not just some haphazard box. The second part of the, of the instruction was this table to be built. And uh, that's in chapter 25. You see this table. And this table was going to hold these loaves of bread. And I have a kind of a picture. It's a very simple kind of table. It should be on the next slide. You know, it was covered in gold. It was wood, made, with, but covered in gold. And on it would be this unleavened bread. And it was there that God had required that there would be bread the presence, led for, for all times. You may wonder, why does God need bread? We'll talk about that. There was also the lampstand. And it was a lampstand that would have one stand with seven uh, uh, branches off of it so they may illuminate the area in front of it. And I have a picture of what that kind of looks like. It's very familiar. It looks like the menorah that we think about today, especially when it relates to Hanukkah and that, that Jewish holiday. And uh, this, this lamp was to be kept on morning and night and be a permanent illumination uh, item in the tabernacle. Then, of course, there was the tabernacle itself, And this was relatively a tent. That's what it was. Most of the people dwelt in a tent, but this was a very ornate tent. It it had pillars inside, and it had divides, and it had special locations, special places that were there. And one of the places where the ark would be kept is the most holy place. You heard about that in the video earlier. But this place where only the high priest could enter at the one time of year, unless the Lord was moving the tent and the Israelites were taking the tent up, that they could go and take the ark but that was the only time anyone was able to go in there and commune with the lord there was the altar there were two of them there was the altar of incense that was inside the tabernacle by the way this is a layout of what the tabernacle would look like dividing out there would be a courtyard around the outside 150 feet on each side about 75 feet on the the east and west ends with the entrance on the east side of it there would be the bronze altar the the bronze laver where they would wash there would be the the holy place where most priests could enter but there would be the holy of holies only the high priest could enter there and there would be the ark inside of it but then you had the altars these ones that burned incense inside the tabernacle and the one that burnt the burnt offerings outside where people could make their atonement for their sin you would have the courtyard this this divider between the tabernacle and the the dwelling places of Israel a, a protection place and then you would have these priestly garments. I do have a picture of kind of the courtyard, what it would look like with the tabernacle sitting in the midst of the rest of the tents. You'd see it's a divided place, set apart for itself. But then we also have the priestly garments. The priests were also to wear something special. They could not go in just, you know, wearing whatever they had, you know, no matter how uh, clean and, and fresh their Adidas wo- shoes were. They could not enter that way. They had to uh, wear a special garment. But these all are specifics. You may wonder, why all these specifics? Because each of them tell about God's significance. Each of them are going back. And and these are not just due just to be pretty, due to look good, due to be visible, due to look holy, due to look pious. That is not what they're about. Each of them is a reminder. God's holy presence, something that we did not deserve, that we did not earn, He graciously has given to us. And so the significance of each of these, when it comes to the ark, is to remind the people of God's majestic, all-powerful, and yet merciful presence. It was His mercy seat, the place where He said, I, the God of all, the God who is bigger than the universe, I will meet with this people. The, The table was about God's providing presence. That, that wherever they go, God has provided for them. He provided the meal and, and the means necessary for them not to be touched by the Passover the, during that, the, the plague of the firstborn. He, he provided manna in the wilderness, food for them, even though they were in a desolate place. It was a reminder that God's presence is a providing presence. That we do not lack when God is with His people. The, the, the third is the lampstand it 's god 's illuminating presence, that, that God is a light in the darkness. Now this was definitely seen in the tabernacle, and it was seen even above the tabernacle. That this cloud by day and a cloud filled with fire by night. But let us know that God is a light among His people. He does not let them grope and, and wander about without vision. He lights their way. It was about the bronze altar and the incense altar. It was about God's sacrificial presence. That God has made a sacrifice, something costly to be among His people, and we in turn, because of our sin, must pay a costly price to draw near to Him, at least in this moment. That ultimate sacrifice would be paid for on the cross with Jesus for us. The courtyard was a reminder of God's guarded presence. That just as the people were told whenever the Lord's glory came down on Mount Sinai that there was a certain perimeter that they were not able to cross, this would be carried on for the people. That there was a certain place where you were not able to go and it would be developed even further on until Jesus' day. In Jesus' day, there was a courtyard for the Gentiles. This would be people that had um, taken on a Jewish faith and they wanted to go and visit the temple. Uh, they, they, they were not Jewish or Hebrew by their ethnicity, by their birthright. But they had became God-fearers, people who wanted to honor the Lord. They could go to this certain place. And we'll just kind of say this little speaker here is a perimeter. But they were able to go there and no more. But then there was another place that was just a little bit inside. It was the Court for Hebrew Women. And they were able to go, we'll say the perimeters between this, this speaker and there. And it was a boxed off place. But they were able to go no more. And then there was a place for Hebrew men. And, and they were able to go and, and, and get closer to the tabernacle, but no more. And then there was the temple itself where if you were of the tribe of Levi, you were a priestly order, you could go there. But if you ever wanted to get into God's presence, to be in that very near place with Him, only one person, one time of year could enter that place. But it's a reminder that God's holiness is so good, it overwhelms us to the point that it destroys anything bad. Anything. Anything. It's that good. And so God set a guarded presence just so the people would not act foolishly and try to go somewhere that would utterly destroy them. It's also about the priestly garments, this reminding of God's holy presence. It's a guarded presence, but the priestly garments is about God's holy presence, that he is the one who has made this holy, significant way, that he is the one that has chosen to be with his people. And the priests were meant to be those mediators. And if they were going to be the mediator between Man and God, they had to be holy. They had to be set apart. They had to be ritually clean. They had to go to extreme lengths to try to be as clean as possible. But even they were not perfect. It would require a perfect mediator. It would require someone to make known that God says, I, I don't want to keep you distance. I want to come near and be with you. I want to dwell with you. It would take someone who sacrificed himself. It would take someone who says, I will provide for you. It will take someone who would light the way. It would take someone who would be the very representation of all that is majestic and merciful about God. We ultimately see that in Jesus. Another aspect of this that we may think is interesting is that of the servants. In this layout of details, there had to be someone to put all this together. Most of the Israelites, whenever they were in Egypt, their job was tending some livestock and making mud bricks. That was the majority of their job. That was the job the mud brick making was the job that they got punished for whenever Moses first in to eat to Pharaoh to tell him that God says let my people go. And so here is this prescription for all these things. But the question is, who's going to do it? Who's going to make it? Well, God does not leave His people without answers. The Lord spoke to Moses in chapter 31. It says, I have appointed by name... Bezalel, son of Uri, son of Hur, of the tribe of Judah, I have filled him with God's Spirit, with wisdom, understanding, and ability in every craft to design artistic works in gold, silver and bronze, to cut gemstones for mounting, and to carve wood for work in every craft. I have also se- selected Oholiab, the son of Isomach, of, of the tribe of Dan, to be with him. And I have put wisdom in the heart of every skilled artisan, in order to make all that I've commanded you. In other words, God says, trust me for the servants to help lead this undertaking. I can pull people out. And here's the thing, you had never, ever heard about these guys before. They weren't people that had risen to the top that you had heard about that were just, you know, uh, their name is nowhere else in all of Scripture except in these points. And yet, God can be trusted to take somebody that I don't even know if Moses knew about. But God gives them a specific go to this tribe, of this family, and you're gonna find this man. He's the one that you're gonna to need to appoint in charge. It's gonna be the one that I have for this task. And I've skilled him in this particular way, to be an artisan in this level. Here's the thing about it. You may wonder, What in the world you're supposed to do? But God has never wondered about that question. We must go to him and say, God, I I sometimes am perplexed about what it is that you have for me. But I know that you're not. I know that you're not perplexed. And I know that there is a purpose for why I exist. It may be to play a small part, that has my name mentioned nowhere for anybody else's attention. Or it may be to play a larger role where I have to lead others. But whatever it is, help me to trust you. And God, if you need to send me the right place, point me the way and point to others the way to draw me in. Help me to see what that looks like. Because you do not leave us without meaning. You've called us to be a part of your name and to carry your identity. That means something and will have a purpose to it. We see another aspect of this, this dwelling place of the Lord with his people, and that's the supervision. After all this was taken place and all of it was built, says the Israelites, they, they had done all the work according to everything the Lord had commanded Moses. In Exodus chapter 39, verses 42 and 43, it says Moses inspected all the work that they had accomplished. He inspected it all. And they had done just as the Lord commanded. What does Moses do? He blesses them. He blesses them. He he says, wow, I'm grateful for what you've done. I I see that that this is where God has said and we are doing what God has said and, and you have followed the commands and I want to admonish you. But I also am there to look it over seriously. I'm not lapsing in in my responsibility to be a supervisor. But I want to encourage you to continue being in this type of obedience to the Lord. The same Moses who had heard their grumbling. The same Moses that had heard their struggles and conflicts and mediated and judged over them. this same Moses who had come down in anger and fury whenever they had made this heinous sin of, of creating the golden calf and, and heard about God wanting to destroy them and, and start over, but the same Moses that pleaded with God on behalf of them. we see, there's the other aspect of Moses that he blesses the people. That he, he, he does, he's not just brutish and rudish all the time. He stops and says, Wow, you follow the Lord. You've done a good thing. And may I just say, I wish I could go and, and find every single one of you that f- are that f- following the Lord and obedient in some way, every time you do that one act of obedience or the many, I wish I could do it, but I want to let you know, when you follow the Lord, you have done a good thing. You've done a good thing. We need people to encourage us on this, that, that these things are not meaningless, these things are not powerless, these things are not purposeless. And and they mean something to the kingdom. And when we do those, we have done a good thing. But all that leads up to the main event. You may think that these are really specific. And they take up the majority of the text. I understand that. But the main event was not the little flowers that were carved in the pieces of wood. The main event was not how the gold overlaid in intricacies. The main event was not how the the tent was made in a certain structure and the poles and all these things. That is not the main event. It was specifics that God deemed. But the main event was when it was structured. God saturated that place with his glory. That God did what only God could do. The people had done what they could do, but God did exceedingly abundantly more than, than anybody else could do. They could not conjure God up or, or coax God in to a place. That is absolutely impossible on behalf of man. But God, out of His grace, He sends His presence to this place so that not any of the priests, not even Moses himself, can go in now Moses was a, like I said I told you this before he was a holy person, but he was not a sinless person He was a man just like you and I but one of the things that had been known about Moses is He's the one that's been invited up on the mountaintop To sit and hear God He's the one that was spoken to at a burning bush He's the one that would go to a tent of meeting that he had set up before this was done to talk with the Lord and when he would come out his face would be radiant and aglow because he had been with the Lord. This is the Moses that was handed by the, of the Ten Commandments that were etched by the fingers of God. And yet God shows up in a u- unique and more powerful way and Moses himself can't even walk in. It's like this is the biggest deal, biggest moment and God says, this is what I will do with you. I will dwell with you in a way like no one ever could. Because I am a God. And I am the only God. And I have chosen to live among you. He saturated that place with his presence. And it wasn't just this moment. He would relent and allow the priests to go about their business afterwards. But it wasn't like his presence left. From the day through the existence of the temple, God's presence was with this tabernacle place, this dwelling. It was a beautiful gift. But even as beautiful as it was, it was a permanent statue for the people of Israel while they were the people of Israel. But then God did something even abundantly more amazing. We may be stupefied and bewildered that there was this moment that God's glory filled a temple that was super ornate and it, and, and people weren't able to even go inside. But what is more amazing is what the Bible tells us in John 1.14 about someone who tabernacled with us. That just as God tabernacled, that means dwelt with his people in Israel among the people of that uh, came out of Egypt in John 1, 14, the Bible tells us that the Word, that this God, this same God, He became flesh and He dwelt among us and we observed His glory. The glory is of the one and only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. Here's the, here's the whole direction of this. That Jesus far exceeds anything that could have been orchestrated or built in the wilderness. He is God the Holy One who chooses to have active grace to put on flesh and to tabernacle among His people in a way that says, I lived among you and and you beheld the glory of the one and only God full of grace and truth. It was evident, so evident that it wrecked and changed the lives of His followers. And they they now saw Him live and teach and work these miracles and be God's very near holy presence that invited all to Him, that knocked down any courtyard rules, that knocked down any offering rules, that brought the very awesome power of God to His people. And make no mistake, this offering, this gift of Jesus to us, it wasn't compulsory. He chose to do it. It wasn't haphazard. He meant to do it and give it all. It wasn't graceless. It wasn't powerless. Every bit of it was God dwelling among those people to say, I love you. I am the Redeemer and this is my redemption. To live before you in a way of grace and truth, completely sinless, perfect, the thing that you were incapable of doing. And then to take it to the cross. That Just as the tabernacle had that bronze altar, before you ever approached it, there was this instrument of where death was laid before the people as a perfect sacrifice, the innocent before the the guilty. The cross is that entrance to the Lord that says, I the innocent, took upon the punishment for the guilty. But it didn't stop there. I arose again so that all who follow me can have equal access to the most holy of holy places. A relationship with me. That's why the Bible tells us that we today on this other side of the cross, we today 2,000 years later that the, the, the mandate still sets the same that you are a chosen generation. You are a royal priesthood. You are a special treasure whose very purpose is to proclaim the excellencies of Him who called you out of darkness into marvelous light. That's our very goal. Why? Not because we're super special, but because there is a Redeemer. You saw a people in need of redemption. And he said, I will redeem. But look to the cross and see how I've done it. Then you will know my dwelling with you. Let's pray. Lord God, today as um, we celebrate who you are and, and your kindness to us, I pray that we would see this, this relationship, this gift we have with knowing you and coming near to you as, as something awesome. As something life transforming, as something that it was a complete gift of your goodness, your kindness. We call it grace, your unmerited favor to you. And Lord, it's redeemed our lives. It's transforming our lives. It has transformed in the fact that we're right with you, but it's transforming us even today. But God, I also realize that in this moment where we respond to you as your children, there may be some here today that are sensing that need to be reconciled by you, redeemed by you. They need peace from you. So God, today as we come to this moment of response, help lead others to that very near holy place with you. that's made available all because of Jesus, the one who dwelt among us. Lord, we love you. Have your way in this time. Amen. i to ask you to keep your heads bowed and your eyes closed. and At this time, if, if you're needing to respond to what God is doing in your life, we want to give you that opportunity. I, I'm going to be here at the front, and, and if you need someone to talk to to help work through your questions or, or to pray with, I want to help you with that. I would have no greater joy in this moment than doing that and being that person. I don't know what that decision looks like for you. Maybe it's you're struggling with having peace with God and and you need someone to help walk you through what that looks like. Maybe it's trusting in the Lord for your salvation. I need somebody to walk you through it. I, I will help you in those steps. Perhaps it's some other decision. Maybe it's the need to be scripturally baptized or the need to unite and and say, I I need to be firmly planted and grow together and reproduce with this church as as one of its members, as a part of its body, its its family. Maybe it's a call to go and do something and, and you just need someone to be there to encourage you with prayer. We want to be here for you in your next step. But the thing about a next step If it's going to take place, it means taking that first step. We want to be here along the way. So you follow as God would lead. And we'll be up here to answer any questions that you may have.